I must confess that um, in the Gospels, when Jesus makes demands of us that we forgive our neighbor, it can be a little intimidating to me and somewhat, dare I say, irritating. Um, that forgiveness, our ability to forgive other people, limits, in a sense, our ability to receive forgiveness. And he says, you have to forgive from your heart. Who are you to hold someone else accountable when you've been forgiven so much? It kind of feels a little bit, if I'm honest, like a catch-22. Like, because you've been forgiven, now you have to let everyone do whatever they want and let them off the hook, in a sense. Or at least that's one way of interpreting it, maybe one way that you've interpreted it, and that being a good Christian means never getting angry, never getting mad about being mistreated. That anger is bad. It's a sign that you haven't forgiven someone. And that makes God angry. That you're angry. Because you don't have any right to be angry. And maybe even something like this has been thrown in your face. Like this parable that I just read. See Jesus by someone who is themselves mistreating you. But knows you're a Christian. And says, see you have to let me mistreat you because Jesus said so. You have to keep forgiving. You can't hold anyone accountable. But that's not what forgiveness is. It, can't, it just can't be that what Jesus is saying is never get angry. Why? Because Jesus himself got angry. Do you remember when he made a whip out of cords and drove people out of the temple because they were turning his father's house of prayer into a den of thieves? What is anger? It's the passion in our hearts to set things right. It's a passionate desire for justice. And you get angry at injustice. Whether that's something you see on the news, something you observe in person, you know, happening to someone else, or especially when it happens to you, when you're treated unfairly, or you're disrespected, or you're used or controlled in a way that denies your freedom or your your integrity as as a human person when you are dehumanized, you get angry because that's not right. So anger is actually good. That's what the wrath of God is, by the way. It's not just that God's irritable and that he hates certain things and he just gets mad and starts throwing out lightning bolts and stuff at people he doesn't like. The wrath of God is his love, his steadfast resistance to sin and death, that he will not just give in to evil. So not being angry is actually bad because the only way to not get angry at injustice is to not care, right? So what God cannot be calling us to do is to just be indifferent, to just stop caring what happens to other people, stop caring what happens to you. The ideal Christian is a doormat. It's like, it's like water who just takes whatever shape the circumstances or situation is It doesn't have any actual personality or identity or desires. Jesus is not like that. He walks into the room. He's got a personality. He has an identity. He changes the timbre in the room. He doesn't just say, oh, this is what you guys want? Yeah, that's fine. He suffers injustice. He forgives even from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He makes excuses for us who are crucifying him. But he doesn't say... It's just okay. It's fine. This is actually good. 
There's a, a saint, St. Maria Goretti, who died when she was 11, 11 and a half years old, little girl, in 1902. And um, she was from a really poor family in Italy. Uh, so poor, in fact, they were farmers, but um, they had to sell the land, or they, they got kicked off the land that they, that they had, the little land that they had. So her father had to work for other farmers. Um, and so she and her five siblings and her mother um, kind of made things work while he basically did like sharecropping labor for landowners and could barely scrape by for a few years until when she was nine years old, he died of malaria. And so her mother, who had been the housekeeper and the mother, had to go to work. And Maria Goretti, nine years old, had to become the housekeeper and the mother for her other five siblings. And they even made that work uh, for a while. And there was some other, uh, there's another family, actually a father and a son, who lived on the property as well and worked. One of whom was this 20-year-old Alessandro Serenelli. And uh, Alessandro had made, when, she, when Maria Goretti was about 11 years old, started to make impure advances on Maria um, and even tried to rape her twice. And she ran away and resisted both times. She didn't tell anyone this because he had threatened uh, to kill her if he did, if she did. Also, he was very helpful to her mother who struggled on the farm and he would do helpful things for her to kind of get a good reputation so that if Maria had said anything, it would have been hard to believe or, you know, he wouldn't wanted to, wouldn't wanted to have believed it. And so Maria is in this impossible position as a scared 11-year-old. Can you imagine? And one day, uh, she's sitting on the stoop with, um, and the rest of her siblings and her mother are off working. And um, Alessandro gets it in his head again that he wants to rape Maria. And this time he brings like a farm implement that he's sharpened into a into something to stab with. And that was going to be his threat. That if you don't give in to my desires, I'll kill you. And as she, he's trying to rape her, she um, defends herself and tells him repeatedly, don't do it, it's a mortal sin. So like her, her, her biggest fear, besides being raped, was that he would fall into sin and that she would be the occasion for that. So she screamed and asked for help and, and finally he got so mad that he just he stabbed her 14 times. She didn't die, as he, and he laughed and locked himself in his room. She didn't die. She actually was able to crawl to open the door and scream for help. And he heard her cries and went back and stabbed her three more times until she lost consciousness. So actually found and brought to the hospital, and she didn't die for 24 hours from her wounds. In fact, they thought they might try to save her, but her intestines had been pierced, and she was um, kind of like when you get appendicitis, like all this stuff was getting out into her abdomen and she started being feverish. There was no anesthetic, uh, anesthetic uh, that they could give her, so she suffered for all these 24 hours. In fact, because of her intestines leaking, she got this intense thirst, but there was nothing they could do to slake it. And the, the priest um, came to console her because the doctors just couldn't give her any, any water. Um, he came to console her and said, you know, Jesus was thirsty on the cross and he offered it for sinners. Can you, can you do the same? And she said yes, and she never complained and then for the rest of the 24 hours about the thirst or any of her sufferings. And in fact, she said, um, I forgive Alessandro and I want him with me in heaven. Um, she died and Alessandro was uh, convicted of murder 
Uh, he was tried as a, he would have gotten life in prison, except he was considered a minor, even though he's 20 years old. And the judge also took pity on him because he was so poor and had had such a bad upbringing um, that they only gave him 30 years. He was bitterly angry and blamed Maria for not giving in. It was, she caused me to kill her. Uh, he was violent and uh, an unpleasant prisoner. He had to be put in solitary confinement until uh, he started being visited by this bishop. Uh, Maria Grady's story was in the newspaper. She became kind of famous uh, from this. And uh, he, he started to kind of come out of his misery and his own unforgiveness and resentment. Uh, and he actually had a vision and a dream of Maria coming uh, in a garden. She never said anything, but she was in a garden, and she picked 14 white lilies and placed them in his hands, and they, they burned up as soon as they landed in his hands. And they, he interpreted that to mean that was the 14 stab wounds, that she was forgiving him and wanted him to get better. He actually did. He went to confession, had deep contrition, um, and started to try to live a more holy life. Uh, he got out of prison, and one of the first things he did is he went to Maria's mother, Asunta, uh, whose family had been destroyed by this. Like, her husband was already dead, and now the oldest was not available, so, like, the family was just fractured. She had suffered so much, besides just the grief of losing her daughter, uh, because of Alessandra's selfishness. And he came and begged her forgiveness, and she said, Alessandra, God has forgiven you. Maria has forgiven you. How can I not forgive you? And the next day, they went to Mass and received Holy Communion side by side at the communion row. Alessandro eventually became a Capuchin brother uh, and died in 1970 at the age of 87. And even some, he lived such a holy life, I guess, after this. He always prayed to Maria as his little saint um, that some have even attributed miracles to his own uh, intercession and are, are trying to push for his canonization, which would be insane. Um, she was canonized in 1950 or 1940, something. Half a million people came to her canonization in Rome. It's the first canonization they had to have outside because there were so many people. This 11-year-old girl who forgave, who chose to forgive. Um, and notice that this forgiveness was not dependent at all on Alessandro's reception of it. In fact, for 30 years, he suffered... Uh, in this resentment, in this hatred, in this total unrepentant misery. Um, she didn't forgive in order to get him to change. And that's sometimes what, what keeps us from forgiving. It's like, if I let this person off the hook, then I give up my ability to control them or to try to control our relationship or control the outcome. Uh, Maria Gretti was totally powerless in this relationship, and yet she was so free. She was not determined by the anger, the resentment, even Alessandra's selfish and violent desires. Um, and so we see the point of forgiveness and what Jesus is actually inviting us into uh, is the way that he loves is in this merciful and totally open way. Forgiveness is not a task that we have to do because you're Christian and you're just supposed to forgive. Forgiveness is for friendship. Forgiveness is for friendship. And maybe you've had a friendship where there's been a need for forgiveness and you've experienced that maybe there was misunderstanding, maybe there was mistreatment, and on both sides there was resentment and there was a coming together and a repair of that rupture. And then your friendship becomes closer. Sometimes maybe that isn't the case and you have to forgive even though this person can't be your friend. There's just a line you have to draw 
and say, I forgive you. I surrender my passionate desire for justice to God, who is the only one that can actually make anything right. But um, I don't hold you accountable, but I also won't let you continue to mistreat me. But the point is that forgiveness is not for changing the other person. It's for preserving our own freedom to love. If I cannot accept people for who they are, I cannot love them. If my love is conditional on you performing a certain way or saying sorry when you, when you hurt me in, the, in a way that satisfies my, my anger, my wrath, then I can't really love. I'm imprisoned in my own ego. I'm living in a kingdom of, of justice where everybody gets exactly what they deserve, nothing more, nothing less, and not the freedom of the saints whose love is limitless because it's the love of God. And that's, I'll finish with this, what's so radical about what Jesus is saying. Peter just asks him this simple question. If my brother sins against me, do I have to forgive him seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Another gospel says 70 times seven times. It just means infinite times. You just always have to forgive. Your forgiveness can't have a limit. What could have been more heinous? Can you imagine something more heinous than what Alessandro did to Maria Goretti? And yet she, this 11-year-old soul, was able to love with the love of God. And here's what's really cool. Uh, in our altar, uh, when we got this altar consecrated in 2021, um, we have three martyrs' relics sealed under the, the uh, altar stone. St. Agnes, St. Sebastian, and St. Maria Goretti. A little piece of her bone is here at every single Mass. And it's cool, the tradition of, of saying the Mass over the bones of the martyrs comes from the ancient church, because the martyrs are those who are most configured to Christ, crucified, um, rejected. Those who have suffered and died with and for Christ are those who have been most transformed by the grace of God, not by their own merits, but because they receive Jesus so deeply into their souls that they become another Christ. They die for sinners, just as he did. Um, and so she's present here at every Mass. That's where we also get the grace to forgive. Not to be like water, not to be like a doormat, but to be like Christ. To receive that love, receive that mercy so abundantly that we can give it to our neighbor.